Welcome to the Fastest Five Minutes, presented by Kroll and Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Chris Garcia, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. We have three primary items for this edition, and I'll turn it over to Chris Garcia to get us started. Chris, over to you. Thanks, Peter. The first item on today's podcast is an interim final rule out of the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, concerning the Federal Acquisition Supply Chain Security Act. On September 1st, 2020, OMB issued an interim final rule that is effective immediately on behalf of the Federal Acquisition Security Council. The interim final rule establishes criteria and procedures for agencies to share supply chain risk information and for the Security Council to evaluate and manage supply chain security risk through the use of exclusion and removal orders. Now, among other things, the interim final rule establishes regulations that are generally applicable to Security Council operations, such as the procedures by which the Security Council will recommend the issuance of a removal or exclusion order. For clarity, A removal order requires the removal of what are known as covered articles from executive agency information systems, while an exclusion order excludes sources or covered articles from future procurements. A source is a non-federal supplier or potential supplier of products or services at any tier, and covered articles is broadly defined to include things such as information technology, telecommunications equipment or services, information processing, and hardware systems, devices, software or services that include embedded or incidental information technology. The last note on the interim final rule is that it includes procedures for the due process of question sources and for agencies to request an exception from a removal or exclusion order. The Interim final rule also prescribes criteria applicable to executive agencies for mandatory information sharing, which is required when the Security Council requests specific information or the agency determines there is reasonable basis to conclude a substantial supply chain risk, and voluntary information sharing, which is used for all other information relevant to supply chain risk management. Now over to Peter. Great. So there's been a lot of talk over the years about the state of Virginia law as it relates to teaming agreements. And there's a new data point to share, and this comes out of the Circuit Court of Fairfax County in a decision that was issued in late August of 2020. And here, the court has issued a decision denying a government contractor's attempt to enforce a teaming agreement. Let me tell you a little bit about the case. The case involved an incumbent prime contractor called Futrend, which teamed with a small business called MicroHealth, and they were bidding on a set-aside for an 8A business opportunity. MicroHealth was ultimately awarded the contract, but the relationship broke down. Futrend brought suit against MicroHealth, alleging breach of the teaming agreement, which had language around work share under the ultimately awarded contract. The court, quoting, quote us, well-settled law in Virginia, said that these provisions are merely set out to negotiate future subcontracts, and as such, they are unenforceable, and the court refused to enforce the teaming agreement. The court noted the party's acknowledgement that the minimum offer required under the teaming agreement establish a floor obligation 
but the court said it was, quote-unquote, illusory and indefinite. And while the teaming agreement, quote-unquote, guaranteed work share, the court explained the use of the word approximate in connection with that work share indicated a degree of lack of definite enforceability. So given these uncertain, quote-unquote, legal obligations, the court held the teaming agreement was unenforceable. So a lot of lessons to be learned here. And for companies that are entering into teaming agreements, certainly an additional word of caution and focus on whether to use Virginia law or select another jurisdiction. But the trend continues where Virginia tends to view teaming agreements differently than certain other jurisdictions. Chris, over to you to talk about our next item and the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit decision. Great. Thanks, Peter. So the last item on today's podcast is another case, but this time out of the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit regarding a contractor's request for reimbursement under a government contract. On September 1st, 2020, the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit denied the request of Kellogg Brown and Root Services, Inc., or KBR for ease, for reimbursement of payments made to a subcontractor due to lack of proof that the costs were reasonable. Now, by way of background, KBR had argued at the Armed Services Board of Contract Appeals, or the ASBCA, that the government's failure to provide force protection caused KBR's convoys to back up at the Kuwait and Iraq border. KBR sought to recover those amounts it had paid the subcontractor for resultant delays and additional costs. The ASBCA denied KBR's claim on two grounds, first finding that the government had not breached the prime contract's force protection clause, and two, that even if it had, KBR had not carried its burden of proof that the subcontract costs were reasonable under FAR 31. The Federal Circuit declined to decide the breach question and affirmed the ASBCA's second holding that the KBR had failed to show that its subcontract costs were reasonable. In doing so, the Federal Circuit rejected KBR's subcontractor cost calculation as unreasonable because, quote, KBR supplied no meaningful evidence to the board showing the reasonableness of its costs, end quote, and failed to explain the inconsistencies between its proposed cost model and the factual record. Specifically, the court found that KBR's model was inconsistent with the subcontractor's records. It found that KBR did not disaggregate the causes of delays and instead attributed all delays to the government, which was not realistic. That KBR offered no fact or expert witnesses to support the reasonableness of its estimate of idle trucks. And that KBR offered no data or evidence to support the reasonableness of a composite rate rather than the subcontractor's actual cost. Put together, the federal court's holding is a good reminder of the need for contractors to develop sufficient evidence and an adequate paper trail to show that the claim costs are in fact reasonable under FAR 31.201-3. Peter? Perfect. Well, with that, we will wrap up this edition. This has been the Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. See you again in two weeks. If you have any questions, I can be reached at 202-624-2807, and Chris can be reached at 202-688-3450. Thanks for joining us, and take care. The Fastest 5 Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mori LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. 
You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast.